Welcome. You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you could join us. We're here today with Dr. Dory Carlson from Park River, North Dakota. Dr. Carlson, in 2011, became the first woman president of the American Optometric Association, the first woman in its 100-year history to that point. But even before we get started on some of your accomplishments and some of what you're doing, I love the story of the raccoon. Can you tell us that story? Oh, sure. Um, Well, I met my husband in optometry school, and we happened to our parents happened to live an hour from each other. So he was from North Dakota. I was from Minnesota. We went to undergrad a couple of miles away from each other. We never met. We ended up going to optometry school in Oregon and that's where we met. And so I kind of joke that I went a long ways from home to meet somebody from home. So we then did residencies in Seattle after we graduated from optometry school and we were trying to decide what we wanted to do when we grew up, so to say. And uh, one day we got a letter in the mail and it was from this little town in North Dakota, Park River, North Dakota, saying our optometrist retired and closed his doors. Would you be interested in looking at our town? We noticed that you had a North Dakota license, which my husband had had taken the North Dakota license exam and um, that's how they had kind of found us. So we expressed an interest, wanted more information And so they started communicating with us. They started sending us the weekly newspaper. They um, started giving us a variety of information about the community. The Methodist pastor drove around in the back of one of the local plumbers pickup and did a videotape of the town and mailed it to us so that we could see what the town looked like. Um, They offered us space inside of their hospital um, to start up a an office in, and they offered to fly us home. So they figured out that we were from the area and thought that it would be a good idea if they flew us home over Thanksgiving, because then we could tour the town and spend yet time with our families back here in North Dakota and Minnesota. And, you know, they're very smart in that thinking. But the funniest part about the whole thing was that they raffled off a four foot stuffed raccoon in order to pay for our airline tickets. And you ask me how I know that? Well, I read about it in the weekly paper. There was an advertisement that they were raffling off the tickets. So we are where we are, literally, because a community raffled off a four-foot stuffed raccoon um, to pay for our airline tickets. So the rest, as they say, is history. It's it's hard to say no to a four-foot stuffed raccoon. <laughs> yes, it is. When a community cares that much, right? Right. <laughs> to get you there. That's That's just such a fabulous story. Um, and then fast forward, you know, you became the um, AOA president by taking on, obviously, leadership positions in North Dakota, in the North Dakota Optometric Association. Are leaders made or born? Which one are you? Uh, that's a good question. And I'm not sure that I have the answer specifically, but I have an opinion. I think everybody has the ability to be a leader. I think when we grow and invest in ourselves, uh, we become, and when we kind of go out of our comfort zones, we grow as a person. And so I've been doing a lot of personal growth things lately. And I really do believe that 
if we just kind of take that time to make that commitment to grow, however that might be for us, that that leadership quality starts to blossom. And, you know, it, it starts as little things first, and then it gradually becomes bigger and bigger things. Uh, and so, and leadership is really influence, nothing more. It's just the ability to influence people um, in decision-making processes or guiding them in the way that you want them to go to some extent. So, you know, I would say that we all have the ability to be leaders if we want to. Right. Now, did you come to that position or did you kind of know that right from the first uh, interaction that you had? in North Dakota with the, uh, with the NDOA? No, that it wasn't intentional. As far as I'm a leader, I'm going to go do this. I didn't see that in myself. Uh, you know, what started for me for North Dakota was when we moved to North Dakota and opened a clinic cold, we went to the North Dakota Optometric Association and we found other optometrists that were actually willing to help us. And it was the networking ability of those small groups that, people actually just expressed an interest in helping us to get going. So in turn, what happened was after they had helped us, I just opened my mouth and said, well, if you need any help from us, just ask. Be careful what you say because something will always come back to you. And so it wasn't long before I was asked to serve on the association board. And it wasn't long before I was asked to lead some task force. And it wasn't long before I was asked to do some other things for advisory boards. And, uh, you know, it just kind of one thing led to another. And, you know, there were certain things that were certainly out of my comfort zone. Public speaking, for instance, was absolutely out of my comfort zone. I was terrified. And when I think back about my incoming NDOA presidential address, I wish I could go back and do it over because I was so nervous that I just, it was, maybe it came off better than I think, but in my own mind, I wish that I could do a do-over, if you will, because I was just so petrified of public speaking. And here I am all these years later, and actually now I kind of enjoy it. So it was certainly a process. It wasn't some decision that I came to, and and but looking back, I think that's how it all happened. Right. Now, the process with the American Optometric Association had to have been a little bit more intentional. Um, it's, it's obviously a, a more selective process to get there. And what made you say, this is something I want to do? When it came time for my decision about running for the American Optometric Association, obviously that's a different um, more intentional type of decision, and a, a lot of soul searching really that goes into it as well. Uh, but when I was the president of the North Dakota Optometric Association, by default, I represented my state at all of the AOA events, and again got to know people, networked, um, expressed an interest in certain things that were happening in the association at the time, and was fortunate enough that I was appointed to some committees for the AOA and kind of got a taste of what the leadership was like in that venue, if you will. And so I was involved in the volunteer structure for the AOA for a number of years, and I had was asked to chair some things and, and you know, given more responsibility and asked to do more things as time went by. And I saw people running for the AOA board and, you know, kind of was recognizing and, and starting to know them and who they were and kind of getting to know 
what it all entailed. And I thought, well, if they can do it, I could do this too. And in all truthfulness, my husband actually is the first person that said something to me about running for the AOA board because he said that I should do it. And I looked at him and I said, are you crazy? Do you have any idea what the time commitment is for that? And, you know, then more people kind of encouraged me to do it. And I, as, as I got encouragement from others and as I thought it through, it did become an intentional decision um, that I, I threw my hat in the ring, if you will, to run for the AOA board. It's an election process. And in the AOA structure, you have to have so many delicate votes in order to be elected to the AOA board. And I don't recall the exact number, but I'm going to say 1,700, 1,800 votes. And North Dakota had 11 at the time. So it was not a process where I was going to be elected because I was from the state of North Dakota that had a lot of uh, delegate votes. So it was something that I had to kind of grow as a person. And to be honest, one of the hardest things for me to do was talk to people. That wasn't the hard part, but talk to people. And at the end, make an ask and say, will you vote for me? And that was kind of out of my comfort zone. But again, you go out of your comfort zone and that's sometimes where the growth comes from. Now, I'm sure it didn't escape you, obviously, that, that you were going to be the first woman in this role if you got elected. Did that weigh on you? Did that make things easier? How did that influence some of the uh, actions leading up to this? Well, actually, there was a woman that went on the board the year previous to me. So when I ran for the board, it wasn't obvious that I was going to become the first woman president. And that's not the reason why I did it. I did it because I felt that I had a skill set that could contribute to the decisions and the advocacy efforts of our profession. And so while that was, you know, kind of dangled, I didn't expect that to happen because there was already a woman on the board and I was just you know, doing it for the reasons that I felt passionate about. Right. As it happened is uh, that individual, because of family commitments, decided to step down for um, a little bit and was going to come back to the board someday if it worked for her. And, you know, so it was after she stepped down that it, I became the next person in line and that I ended up ascending up into the, the leadership chairs and ultimately the presidency. So you went into your AOA presidency with some goals in mind? I did. Uh, you no, know, I think there's things that happen when you're president of the American Optometric Association that you have control over and there's things that you don't have control over. So the things that I had controlled over and wanted to make a difference in was I had a passion for um, advocating for children's vision and making sure kids get a comprehensive eye exam. And there was lots of rhetoric talking about screenings and the difference between screenings and comprehensive eye exams. And we all know that the gold standard is an exam. So I worked to create a summit that had individuals from all kinds of different associations that weren't optometrists, they were school nurses, they were from public health associations, from a variety of associations that all worked with kids to get them into the same room so that we could educate them about, about the importance of vision as it relates to education. And we spent a day and a half together doing this. And together we made, created a statement 
that is our belief that a, the gold standard for children's vision should be a comprehensive eye exam. And so I worked with that and created that whole initiative. And the other part of it, too, was trying to activate our students into becoming active members in our association and members of our profession that were activated as well. And so I also did the 2020 tour, which was visiting 20 schools in 20 months and um, giving a basically a motivational speech, if you will, at each and every one of those schools, doing tours and things. But the biggest part of it was meeting with students and telling them about the importance of being involved in our profession, which for me really was kind of a life-changing event, if you will, because the motivational speaking and being positive and, and telling all the great things about our profession, I have actually had people come up to me just even this last year, somebody said to me, you don't know me, but you were at my school and I remember you and you made me feel like I could accomplish anything. So it's those kinds of things that for me were kind of life-changing and, and very um, fun to do. So how many uh, airline miles did you log that uh, during those 20 months? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was a diamond medallion on Delta, so but I'm not sure how many actual miles I logged. But, um, you know, the years that I was president-elect and president, I believe I traveled between 170 and 180 days each of those years. So it, it's definitely a lot of uh, miles on airlines. Right. And Park River isn't all that close to an airport, is it? Well, it's about an hour drive to an airport, but it's not so much that it's so far from the airport itself as it is from um, where I need to go. I joke that I have a choice between flying Delta or Delta, so I usually fly Delta um, because that's our only airline and everything goes from where I live to Minneapolis. And then from Minneapolis, I go wherever. Um, so it's always at least two flights, sometimes three, sometimes four. Um, so it's always an adventure. I, I joke that I shop in the Minneapolis airport mall more than I shop anywhere else. <laughs> for for that uh, period, that was probably totally true too. Um, and you set that as a goal to visit all 20 schools and you made it? Correct. That's great. I did. And, it, and met a lot of great people along the way. And, and it's fun because a lot of them are my Facebook friends now and I'm seeing what they're doing in their lives professionally and, and personally when they share it and such. And, and so it's, it's been fun to watch these people that were students kind of grow and, and become colleagues in our profession. So sometimes, as you mentioned, things happen during your tenure uh, that you either weren't expecting or that's politically related. That happened to you. It did. Um, you know, I've kind of often said that the person who's president of the AOA at the time that something gets thrown at the AOA tends to be the right person to be president at the time. And I've seen that in the leaders prior to me, and I've seen that in the leaders after me as well. Um, and in my case, the Affordable Care Act was passed in March, just prior to me becoming the AOA president. Um after it was passed, and, and it and kind of interesting that I happened to be in D.C. the night that it was passed, so it was an exciting place to be when all the buzz was going on with the Affordable Care Act. But after that, they were deciding what essential benefits should be inside of the Affordable Care Act, and there was talk about a pediatric vision benefit. There were those who were advocating for the vision benefit to be a screening, and there were those 
obviously the AOA, that we're advocating for it to be a comprehensive eye exam. And so I spent a chunk of my presidential year going to D.C. and educating regulators and policymakers and those individuals who were in the places to make those decisions what the difference between a screening and an eye exam was. And, you know, one of the things that I would say is if you truly want to help children, you give them an eye exam. You just don't identify kids with problems. Forget if they're accurate problems or not, but you help kids and actually try to fix their problems and provide the necessary care for them. But we also had had this children's summit. And as I mentioned earlier, there was several associations that signed on to it saying that the gold standard for children's care was a comprehensive eye exam. So serendipitously, we had this letter that we could now take around to the various places in Washington, D.C. and show the support from these other associations. And ultimately, we were successful in our endeavor that the essential benefit became an eye exam and not just a screening. So this was a year that you built up to, obviously, going through the uh, the, the steps that it takes to become um, a president of the, of the AOA. And when it's over, and in the years since, I'm sure you've had time to reflect on that period. What what kind of uh, resonates most with you from from that time? It's strange when it's over because you're part of an email group that if you email the AOA Board of Trustees, it gets um, sent out as like an email blast to every single board member. And they shut you off of that particular email the day, the Monday after optometry's meeting. And so every president before me, and I've actually reminded people after me too, that the weirdest part is you think your computer is broken. You think your internet has gone down and you go from having a few hundred emails a day to, you know, whatever it is when you're not on the AOA board, whatever your normal email is. And so there's definitely um, a, a withdrawal moment from the AOA board. And then after you recover from that, you know, the other thing I kind of joked is I started making a mental list of the things I wouldn't miss. Uh, And, you know, one of them was maybe I don't have to be on a plane quite as much as I had been in the past and spend a little more time with my family. Um, But, you know, looking back on it, I, I think for me, it was really a personal growth experience. I'm a very different person than I was when I first started on the AOA board. Um, You know, it developed a sense of confidence. It developed a sense of personal growth. It, it, you know, you get taken out of your comfort zone so many times that it becomes this um, life-changing kind of event as far as a person and your confidence and knowing what you can accomplish in life. And so, um, you know, then I just kind of was trying to figure out what do I want to do when I grow up? So on to the next chapter. Great. Well, we will talk about that next chapter in another podcast. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Carlson. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again next time on WL Voices. If you'd like to be part of our podcast series, please contact us. You can email us at wovoicesonline at gmail.com or via our website, womeninoptometry.com, on Facebook at WL Magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.